Welcome to my podcast, Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, an interior designer with a passion for managing construction projects, large and small. My mission is to empower women, both homeowners and interior designers, to manage renovation projects like a pro. My goal in sharing my knowledge and experience from working in the field for the past 29 years will allow you to avoid the mistakes I have seen and go into projects confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your projects will be as smooth and as successful as possible. I am often asked, Renee, what are the first steps I should be taking on any home renovation project? And quite frankly, that can come from an interior designer as well as a homeowner trying to get a feel for what steps they should be taking. So on today's episode, I'm going to be detailing exactly what steps you should be taking before your project gets started. And I have a feeling you might be surprised with the direction I go in. So let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. So when someone hears what I do for a living, whether that is in a professional setting or whether that's at a school event, if I'm there with my kids, or whether that's at a social event, and I explain that I do a lot of construction, more often than not, the very first set of questions are, Renee, what should I do first? Because inevitably, someone is about to take on a project or wants to take on a new project in the coming year or two. And so they want to pick my brain. And that's that's fine. I used to really kind of bristle against it. Quick story. One time I was at a cocktail party and I didn't know the hosts that well. But the hostess specifically sought me out when we first arrived. My husband was mingling with some friends he knew. And she said, let me get you a glass of wine, Renee. And I said, oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much. So the next thing I knew, she was leading me into a room where no one else was and certainly did pour me a glass of wine, but then started asking me all sorts of design questions. And about 10 minutes in, I realized that she just was looking for a consult, which, of course, annoyed me to no end. But for those designers listening to me, I am sure that is a normal story for you to hear, right? And, you know, part of me wanted to say, well, there's a lawyer back in the other room where you can go ask him for some free advice as well. So inevitably, I get the questions and I have grown accustomed to it. And I guess I have come up with my short, concise, yet informative responses without just ruining the time and spending it all kind of in a pro bono, impromptu consult. So here's the thing. You're probably thinking I'm going to say how to hire a contractor, how to um, source your, your subs, how to search out the selections you're going to be making and things of that nature. But in fact, I'm going to go way back before any of that starts. And really, the very first things you should be doing are asking yourself a couple of questions. Now, this does not matter if you are going to be building a house from the ground up, whether you're going to be adding an addition onto an existing house, renovating an existing space. This really does apply universally. And this also applies whether you are a homeowner or an interior designer. So what I want everyone to understand is when I walk into my very first meeting, 
Now understand, I have had a conversation with the person prior to this meeting. I know the general scope of work. We've probably discussed it in you know pretty broad strokes. I don't get into great detail in the initial phone call because I really am a visual and it's very hard to understand sometimes what people are explaining to me over a phone. So I have an idea of what they want to do. But that's never enough for me because when someone calls me and says, for instance, Renee, I'm going to gut my kitchen. We've been living in the house for 10 years. It's tired. I really want to start fresh. I want to start new. I'm so excited. I have all of these ideas. And that's all wonderful information and and important information. But when I go and meet these people, we don't immediately start talking, do you want marble countertops? Do you want a white kitchen? Do you want, you know, a wolf? range? Do you want all of these bells and whistles? Because that is down the road. The very first thing I want you to be asking yourselves as a homeowner, asking your client as an interior designer is how will this room function? And I know that seems trite. You're thinking it's a kitchen, Renee. It's going to function like I'm going to make dinner and then I'm going to make breakfast in the morning and then I'm going to clean up. Yeah, I get that. But there is a whole lot more to how will this kitchen function than just the act of cooking in the kitchen. And and in fact, that does come into play as well. Trust me, I have many clients who do nothing more than microwave something, possibly boil some water, and that's it. So the functionality of a space, whether it is your kitchen, a bathroom, the family room you want to put on, any of those spaces will vary from person to person, house to house, job to job. So it is your job as a homeowner to really determine what it is you want to do in the room. And you're going to be asking yourself kind of silly questions like, okay, let's say you're going to put on a family room. And you're going to come home from work. And where are you going to go? Do you want to walk into the family room, dump your work bags, kick off your shoes, sit down and turn on the TV? Okay. That's one level of functionality that another homeowner would say, oh, no, Lord, no. I go into my room. I change into comfy clothes. And then I'll walk the dog. I'll do this and that and the other. And then after dinner, I want to go in the family room. Okay, that's a different functionality, right? And you're thinking to yourself, well, Renee, you still need a sofa. You still need a TV. And well, yes, but the room is going to be functioning differently. So for instance, if you are putting on a family room and you want to come right in from work, kick off those shoes and jump on the sofa, well, maybe we connect that room somehow to the passageway to the garage, whether that's through a mud room or maybe there's an external door and you come straight in that family room. But if you're going to be doing all of these other tasks before you're going to go in there and you're going to be in your comfies, then that doesn't have to apply. And again, if you're coming in right from work with shoes on, well, we might do different finishes on the floor than if we would if we know you're coming in in either bare feet or in socks. You know, These things, as trivial as they may seem, can have a really big difference on the end product and therefore the success of the product. So I know you're thinking, well, okay, that's pretty easy to do. Well, interior designers... It's harder to tease that information out from a client that you've just met. 
right? A homeowner can sit down and be honest with themselves and say, okay, you know what? I'm a slob. I need two dishwashers in my kitchen because I know myself and damn it, I'm just not going to run the dishwasher every night. It's just who I am. Okay, fine. But I don't find a lot of new clients admitting that kind of thing to me in our first meeting, right? They're going to try and put on their best front and try to impress me in some way, not in a snooty way, but just they're never going to tell me simply how relaxed, maybe sloppy, maybe lazy they are in certain areas of their life in their home. And I don't blame them, right? We're all going to try and gussy some things up about our lives when someone is asking about it. But as an interior designer, it is my job to tease that information out so that I can give them the most successful project in the end. I have a client who was brutally honest with me and said, I don't clean up my kitchen, period. And I waited and I thought, well, surely at some point you clean up the kitchen. And the guy said, you know, maybe occasionally, but more often than not, my wife might wipe it down every other morning. Now, is that how I run my kitchen? Absolutely not. I, I have to admit, I am a bit of a neat freak in the kitchen. I like things very orderly. Not everywhere, but the kitchen, yes. So guess what? All of a sudden, I knew what he couldn't have, right? He couldn't have the white Carrera marble countertops that everybody's dying to have because he couldn't maintain them. It would be a nightmare to have him live with a product that needs the constant upkeep and cleaning when he's already told me he doesn't do it. And guess what? He's not going to start doing it because we put in a more porous stone. It's just not going to happen. I am not going to retrain someone simply to give them a finish or a look that they're going for. Now, there are other alternatives, right? You can go into the quartz world. You can go into Corian. There's lots of other materials that we can use to have a gorgeous kitchen, but there'll be some that should just be completely off limits. So these are important things to ask, and you must be honest. As a homeowner, it can be a little embarrassing. I actually was pretty impressed that this guy was admitting to me that he's sloppy. I don't have too many people that will admit it, but trust me, after I work with them for a couple of months, I'm well aware of the clients that are sloppy, and it would have benefited them to tell me in the beginning. So kudos to this guy for knowing himself and feeling secure enough to, to share that with me. And he should, right? If you're hiring an interior designer, you're paying for that service. That service cannot be provided to the level that you want if you're not giving all the information you can possibly come up with. Now, I say that as working with an interior designer, but as a homeowner, you should be telling anyone who's helping you source products. So if that's your contractor, you need to be honest with him. If it's an architect and they're just laying out the floor plan and you like to go from your bedroom into the closet and straight into the bathroom, that's the kind of information that is critical to the layout of your floor plan. If you're going to go look at countertops and if my sloppy client, for instance, didn't tell someone that he was sloppy, then he would likely end up with a product he couldn't maintain. And therefore, it's a failed investment. And that is not what we want. We do not want you wasting time or money on your projects. It doesn't benefit anyone. It doesn't benefit the industry. And it certainly doesn't benefit the home and the homeowner who's doing the work. Interior designers, this can be 
somewhat awkward, depending on the room you're working on. I mean, for instance, if I am working on a client's bedroom and master bath, I get down and dirty. What side of the bed do you sleep on? And initially they look at me like, what the hell does that have to do with it? Well, it matters because for instance, I have a client, she works crazy hours at her job. She gets up long before the sun and depending on the side of the bed that she slept on was where we wanted the bathroom door. So she didn't have to cross through the room, possibly wake up her husband to go in a door on his side of the bed. Now, this was a ground up construction project. We had that opportunity to get that detailed. And the minute I told her why I wanted to know what side of the bed she slept on, she goes, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I want the door right next to my side of the bed so that he can keep sleeping and won't yell at me for waking him up. I said, exactly. Right. It's that level of detail that I want all of you to be going for when you're taking on your project. And how do you get to that level of detail? Well, a couple of ways. One, you hire a professional that you know has that experience and skill set. Or two, you take your time, you listen to me, and you ask yourself these really detailed questions. And that's how you're going to tease out the information you need to design the project that serves you and your needs the best. So, okay, so we've talked about functionality and how you're going to use a space. The next level of question, which, of course, these are all going to go on at the same time, is who will use the space that you're designing? Now, if it's a whole home, you're going to have multiple people using multiple different spaces, but the same level of questioning applies. So, for instance, this kitchen, the guy who said he's sloppy, guess what? He's the one that cooks the most. I'll be honest, I don't always assume it's the husband that's doing most of the cooking. So he's the guy I want to ask, how do you cook? Do you bake? Do you use a grill? Do you mostly microwave things? Do you want to try a steam oven? I mean, these are the kinds of things that will be really important to him and him alone, because apparently his wife doesn't cook very much at all. God bless her. I wish I was in that situation. So who is using the space really impacts the design. Now, I do work with a lot of couples who have kids that are in high school, late middle school, and obviously still living at home. So they come into play, right? Of course they do. But I find it fascinating when the project's pretty big and they're putting on, let's say, a family room where they intend the whole family to gather and use at the same time. Now, if the kids are in middle school, early high school, it's delicate. But I always bring up, are you sure that your kids will be in this room with you every night, every weekend going forward? Oh, of course they will, Renee. And I think, well, let's think back to our own high school days. Were you home every Saturday and Sunday night? And they're like, oh, well, no. And then, you know, we do the quick math. And when is little Johnny going to college? When is Jane going to be moving out as well? And, you know, these are the things that are, quite honestly, can get a little uncomfortable because no one, trust me, I will be devastated when my kids go to college, even though I wouldn't keep them from going to college. But that is my reality. My daughter will be going to college in three years. So if I'm adding on a room, keeping her in mind, thinking it will be daily use, including her in the number, 
Well, that number is going to change in three years. That may impact the seating arrangement. It may impact how many seats we need. You know, it may impact all sorts of things simply for a three-year plan. Now, of course, she'll be coming home for vacations, you know, hopefully some summers and things like that. But this is the kind of detail and the level of detail I want you all to be thinking about. Now, I will say as a caveat, you could be wrong. Trust me, this has happened before where a client has said, oh, I'm going to be the only one to use this study and I want it to be tricked out for me and me alone. And lo and behold, at the end of the project, more than that client uses the room and therefore it isn't as successful because the seating didn't support that many or whatever the case may be. So there will be times where you get things wrong. And so don't don't worry too much about that. I mean, obviously you can add more seating, you can do all sorts of things to accommodate that change, but try really hard to determine who you think will be using the space. Okay, so we talked about the functionality of the room we talked about who is going to be using the room. The third and really important piece is how often will this room be used? So, okay, a kitchen, it's pretty obvious, right? We're going to be using it daily. Now for this one gentleman that I worked with, he's going to be using it a lot. He loves to cook. It's his sort of hobby, his therapy. He just gets in there and goes. Does he use his kitchen more often than a lot of my other clients? Absolutely. So accommodations were made for that. It's a much wider, big open spaces. He's got a TV. He's got in-wall speakers because he loves to listen to music while he cooks. You know, things that are really geared and specific to him and his enjoyment. Other clients who, you know, will make a very quick breakfast, never home for lunch, make a quick dinner, maybe have a couple people over on the weekend. It's a different amount of usage in the kitchen. And therefore, we may not trick it all out. Maybe we'll steal some of the space and put it towards a family room that's attached, right? So these are important pieces to know. This is a really important piece to know with areas that aren't going to be used as frequently by the homeowners. And you're thinking, what does that mean? Of course, the homeowner is going to use all the rooms. Well, what about a guest bedroom? What about a guest bathroom? What about a finished basement? What if you have a media room? Those are spaces that people want more and more of, but they're not going to get the daily use. But be careful. Sometimes they do. You would be amazed how many times I put theater rooms in thinking it's, you know, Saturday night movies, maybe a big football game. And all I hear is it's used almost every day, right? You can stream anything now. Hell, you can watch the news in the theater room on a big screen TV. So this is why the level of questioning is important. Guest bedrooms. We just finished a project of renovating to the studs, three bathrooms in an older home. It just, you know, they were original. They hadn't been touched. They were in great shape. One was on the third floor. Given the age of this house, it was likely for the help. So initially I was thinking, okay, we were going to be using Carrera and polished nickel and really nice fixtures and finishes on the two on the main floor, on the second floor of the house. And when we went up to the third floor, I thought, okay, so we'll just downgrade. Maybe we'll get into some pretty porcelains. You know, maybe we'll keep the polished nickel. You know, this is what's running through my head. And I know interior designers are listening going, yeah, 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 that's exactly right. You sort of just kind of have this 
rolling list of ideas as you're going through and listening to clients talk. And so there is the guest bedroom and then this bathroom. And so we started talking, oh, well, how often do you have guests? Um, We actually have guests quite a bit. Oh, okay. That's wonderful. Who is visiting you? Oh, well, my parents come. And when they come, they stay for three or four weeks. Okay. Slow the roll. That is not a guest in my opinion, right? That's semi-permanent residency. So that changed everything. And the homeowners were like, well, no, we want to make it as nice as the ones on the second floor because it's my parents. They come several times a year. And so all of a sudden you're into 12, 13, 14 weeks out of the every year that this bathroom will be used. And it's her father and mother. So now two people are going to be using this bathroom. Okay. You know, it was an A-frame house. There was a dormer window. It's a little bit of a funky room with tons of character. Don't get me wrong. But I thought, oh, this is a little tight. And at the time it had a Claw and ball footed tub from the 1920s. I mean, it was quite lovely. I thought, okay, that's the first thing to go because we have an older couple. And, you know, so these are the kinds of things that immediately pivoted my rolling list of fixtures and finishes simply because I asked who's coming and for how long. Now, if this woman had said, oh, my sister comes into town twice a year, spends two nights, and we might get one other person. Okay, that's a totally different scope of work, even though it's the same bathroom. So we had to make a bathroom that would accommodate long-term stays upwards of a month and two people in that bathroom with regularity, right? So we got lucky when we pulled all the walls off. We saw that we could push a short wall back under the eaves a little more, and we gained eight inches in the space. Now, I know on a ruler, eight inches doesn't seem like a lot, but in the overall volume of the room, it made an enormous difference since we took out a footed tub and put in a stall shower. Now this couple has wiggle room in there, right? They just have more space. And then something you need to know about me is I hate wasted space. Like in kitchens, in the corner, in the cabinets, when the contractor gets lazy and just leaves that space blocked off for no one to ever be able to use, kills me. Same thing on like a third floor. If there is space in the wall, I love to put built-in cubbies, shelves. I mean, it's such an amazing addition to the space. And luckily, we found two opportunities in this bathroom because there was no linen closet. So again, would I have cared as much if this client had one or two guests a year for maybe five whole days? No. I wouldn't have. I thought, oh, they'll put the towels out somewhere and, you know, they'll figure it out. But now in this case, they have four shelves. She can leave full sets of towels. She can leave toiletries for her parents. I mean, it has completely changed how that bathroom operates. And that's what I call a success. So this is where you need to start. And by the way, this is long before you start demoing any space. Hell, it's before you hire contractors. I want you guys to take the time, be very thoughtful in how the room will function, who's going to use the room, and how often the room will be used. Because those three things, I hope you're hearing me through this going, oh, yeah, wow, that does make a difference. Because time and time again, I hear people skipping those steps, thinking it's a family room. Well, I want a sofa, maybe a chair, a TV, a couple tables and lamps. 
Okay. Now the family rooms I design, they have those elements too. Might be in a different arrangement. We might have floor outlets because we're going to float things. We may have the TV on the wall that's on the same side as the windows because we don't want the glare on the windows because of the location of the sun and you know all sorts of things get taken into consideration each and every time we design a room. This is not hard to do. And to be fair, you don't need an interior designer to be going through this list of questions. Now, you might need professional help once you get through this list and realize it's a little more complicated than you feel you're comfortable designing. And that's why we're here, right? That's why my industry exists. We exist to support you building the home of your dreams. It's really that simple. And I'll leave you with a really funny story. So again, I have found myself more times than I like to think about in an uncomfortable question and answer session when we're doing master bedrooms and bathrooms, right? I mean, think about it, right? People are sleeping in their bedrooms and then people are doing showering, using the toilet, brushing their teeth, et cetera, in the bathrooms. And again, if I'm doing my job right, I have to ask very specific, detailed questions. And trust me, we all tend to have a little bit of a chuckle over it when we, you know, I start asking, well, when do you brush your teeth? Where do you like to store your toothbrush? What kind of toothbrush? Is it an electric toothbrush? Well, if it's an electric toothbrush, would you like it in a medicine cabinet? Well, if that's the case, we need electric in that medicine cabinet and on and on and on, right? And that's on top of, do you want a steam shower? Do you want a tub and a shower or a tub shower combo or no tub, right? Those are the big ones that most people seem to get. But I go into, and I want you to go into that second level of day-to-day use. So a great example is you're listening to this podcast and you're going to be renovating your master bath in the coming months or year. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you go into your bathroom, I want you to think about what you're doing. We are on such autopilot, you don't even realize the steps you're going through in order to write it down and then figure out what would help you do it better, right? It's really that simple. And now is the opportunity to figure that out. So if I hadn't asked that client if he used an electric toothbrush and we put in the standard code ground fault outlet near the top of the vanity, I'd be looking at an ugly toothbrush sitting on this gorgeous new vanity. Since I asked him, there's now electric in that medicine cabinet. Nobody has to see it ever again, including him. So that's why take the notes. It may seem really silly and stupid to do it at the time. But here's the thing. I sat in a meeting with this guy years ago, and we were designing his master bath. And we were getting into this level of detail. And it came out that his wife liked to shower at night. Okay, so she needed really good lighting because she's going to be there in the dark. And he liked to shower in the morning. Okay, fine. So he, you know, he's going to have some natural light, et cetera, et cetera. He turns to me and he said, oh, by the way, Renee, I like to do sun salutations in the shower. And I looked at him and he goes, you know, yoga, where you put your arms up, you stretch down. I said, yeah, I know that. And he goes, okay, great. And I said, which way do you want to stand in the shower to do that? And he looked at me and he goes, good question. And so, you know, here we are literally standing in this man's dining room because that's where we were having this meeting and he's standing there and he's like, okay, I want, yeah. Okay. Let's put the shower head on this side. I can do it sideways. I said, okay, great. Put your arms out. I'm going to measure you. And he goes, well, why are you going to do that? And I said, 
well, I, I need to make sure we have enough clearance for you to go north and then east-west with your arms. We were laughing. I mean, literally laughing out loud. And I think we brought it up multiple times on the project. But guess what? At the end of the day, when that bathroom was done, the wife was able to shower comfortably at night, had plenty of light. And the husband was able to shower in the morning and do his sun salutations in the shower. I can promise you, and I told him this myself, I would never have given him the size and shape of his shower had he not told me that one detail. And he said, he goes, well, I was a little embarrassed. He goes, because you're not going to repeat this, are you? Now, of course, here I am repeating it. I'm not going to tell you who it was. But had he held back, I wouldn't have done that shape of a shower because it was, it was pretty elongated, as you can imagine. But it worked for him. It was exactly what he wanted, and he got it. Didn't cost any more or less. I mean, the material cost was nominal. Uh, we were building it from scratch anyway. So it cost him nothing, and he gained a tremendous amount. So I'll be honest, I try not to picture my clients in the shower, but I do love to think of him doing his sun salutations in the morning and having that start his day on an amazing footing. And that, to me, is success. So these are all things you can do for yourself and you should do for yourself. Think of this guy. Try not to think of him in the shower. I know it's weird, but think of that one element, that one little detail that he shared with me. And he was a little embarrassed, of course, to share that with me. But that made all the difference in his pretty expensive bathroom renovation project. So I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to really dig deep, talk to your partner, talk to your children if you have them at home. How do they envision using those spaces? You will likely be surprised to hear how they think they're going to use the space. Now, you may think they're wrong, and that's a whole nother discussion, but it's great to get input from the other people who will be living in this space with you. So, and interior designers, it's the same advice. You just have to be asking the questions. You need to tease that information out and go that extra mile. What do you really want to do? You can trust me with this information. This information stays here. I don't repeat what I hear in meetings. You know, if that's what it takes to reassure someone to trust the process, to trust you, to take that information so that they benefit from it, then that's your job to do. And it really does work beautifully in the end. And, and you will have some very awkward conversations. Um, I, I definitely have had more than I care to share with anyone. But it does, in the end, make my job easier, number one, because I know exactly what they want and so much more fulfilling for me as a professional and successful for the homeowner in the end and completely worth the effort. So an interior designer, when someone asks you, what's the first step I should be doing for my renovation? This is what you should be doing. You should ask yourself how this room will function, who will be using this room, and how frequently they will be using this space. If you can get those three questions nailed down, really filled out the details, you will be starting on such a successful path. If you have any more questions, there is information on my website for the next steps, how to hire a contractor. There is a construction workbook that walks you through the level of detail you need to get into with contractors after this has been established. There is the course, 
only girl on the job site, both for homeowners as well as designers, that takes you step-by-step through the management process of a home renovation project. They are time savers. They are money savers. And for interior designers, this gives you the skill set to be a one-stop shop for your clients. So they never need to call anyone but you, whether it's this year or in five years when they're continuing on the projects inside their home. It is a no-brainer to add this service onto your traditional decorating services because we all know that the traditional decorating business model is being challenged at all angles, whether it's from online retail, whether it's from procurement issues, whether it's supply chain issues, it is coming at us in rapid fire. So adding the service of renovation management to your clients is another income stream that will help compensate for any lost income from the other side of your business. So these are important courses to continue your education, to make you a team member on these projects and manage them successfully from start to finish. And as always, if this leaves you with more questions and answers, I am here for you. I am happy to jump into whatever situations that's going on with you and help you figure out the best practice going forward. I can't thank you enough for your time today, and I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening today, and feel free to join me on social media at Davine Design in order to stay up to date on the latest happenings in my construction world. There is more detailed information on my website for my signature courses for both homeowners and designers, as well as other material to help guide you through a successful renovation project. Make sure to follow my podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a tip. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, leave a review and tell your friends who are starting or are mid project. And thank you again for listening today.